Good morning, New City. We're not gonna, I'm not going to be preaching yet. I want to uh, just pause and do a highlight acknowledging that once again this week has been full of racial tensions, protests, and violence following the shooting of Jacob Blake. And uh, a lot of the looting that's happening here in the Twin Cities and the violence that's happening around the world uh, is not good. We're not celebrating that. But we want to name that what lies behind that is a deep, deep wound of racism that is still present in our country. And we've talked about this before, but we just want to pause and name that racism is a spiritual evil. And it's inflicted harm on people of color in our country and in our congregation. And because it's a spiritual evil, and because it affects all of us in one way or another, it's appropriate for us to wage war against this spiritual evil using spiritual resources. This is the way Paul talks about waging war against spiritual evil in Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When he talks about this, and then he goes on to talk about the spiritual resources that we have to fight against these evils, but when he talks about this, it's clear to me that racism is one of these spiritual evils, these dark powers against which we're called to take a stand. So it's appropriate for you and I to respond with these spiritual resources that we have, not with violence, not with hatred, but with the spiritual resources available to us in the Lord. And this can feel weak, but it is transformative and powerful for us. And it's, it's hard for us to do much when we're socially distancing, but we can confess and we can lament together the evil in our world. So we're going to take a moment of silence, and then I'm going to lead us in a short corporate confession and lament. Join me in silence. Join me in this call and response. I'll read the leader part. And you can say in your homes out loud the all portion. We confess that we have at times failed to renounce and reject the evil spirit of white supremacy in our country and what we have done and in what we have left undone. Lord, have mercy. We confess that white people are not superior to people of color. We confess that every human being is created in the image of God and worthy of honor, respect, and dignity. 
And we confess as followers of Christ, we are called to love every person as we love our own self. Lord, have mercy. We confess that all attempts to make ourselves better than others are antithetical to the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is for the least of these. It is a kingdom where the first are last and the last are first. Forgive us when we seek to make ourselves greater than our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, have mercy. We confess that Jesus is our Lord, and therefore we have committed our lives to following in his footsteps. Help us to follow him who made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, and help us to reject any spirit of superiority that places one group of people above another group of people. Lord, have mercy. Close with silence. Lord Jesus, we look to you and ask for your help. You would make us instruments of peace, hope, faith, love, repentance, and reconciliation in a world that is full of hurt and pain. Lord, have mercy on us. Amen. Thank you, John, for leading us in that powerful time of prayer. At this time, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture is from Psalm 18, verses 16 to 19. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes, who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, it's good to be back worshiping with you. I was uh, talking with Jamie this morning, and I was so grateful that we were able to do the outdoor uh, worship services. We were able to see one another, uh, and I'm really looking forward to when we uh, start inviting people into the sanctuary in a couple weeks and we get to see one another again. We're going to do everything that we can to make worship safe. We don't want anybody getting COVID when we come inside, and so hopefully you saw some of the precautions that we'll be taking. Uh, we'll uh, continue to roll out uh, information about what that service is going to look like and how you're going to be able to come and worship. Uh, in this time, it's such a crazy time, I think we especially need uh, times to see one another, even if it's socially distanced, and to just be in the Lord's presence in a worship service together. So I'm really looking forward to that on September 13th. 
Over the last couple of weeks, I've been on vacation with my family, and I'm really thankful for both Ian and Daphne for preaching. We were away at my parents' cabin uh, for a week, and then for the two weekends that I wasn't here uh, to preach, uh, we were, so that we were gone for those two weekends and the week in, in between. The week before that, my kids actually went up to the cab, my parents' cabin for a, a camp experience with my parents. They had all the grandkids up and, and ran their own version of camp for uh, a few days. And uh, one of the things that they did that uh, has resonated with my kids is they gave every kid a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And uh, some of my kids have seen this before. Some of them hadn't or hadn't for a while. My youngest, Luke, sorry, I brought it as a prop and I forgot. Thanks, Mary. This is a Jesus Storybook Bible. I know some of you are aware of this. We've their scenes from this Bible are painted on the walls in a couple of our children's ministry room. And uh, my youngest, Luke, uh, he loved reading this Bible, and, and he his, made it his goal that we would finish reading through the entire Jesus Storybook Bible while we were on vacation. And what would often happen is, uh, I'm an early riser, I like to get up early in the morning and spend some time praying before everybody else gets up, and oftentimes Luke is also an early riser, and so I'll wake up to get out and pray before anybody wakes up, and I'll get out and I'll see that he's already out there doing something, making himself breakfast, eating a snack, uh, trying to figure out how to unlock the iPad. Uh, And on vacation, uh, because of this Bible, some mornings I would come out and he was already reading the Bible. And so I thought, okay, well, I wanted to pray and read the Bible. That's not going to happen because he's already awake, but I'll kind of pivot and we'll read the Bible together. And a couple of things happened as I did this, as I read the Jesus Storybook Bible with Luke. The first thing that happened was, I was, on multiple occasions, I was moved to tears at how beautiful a picture of Jesus is portrayed in this Bible. And it was such a delight to me to be able to share with Luke the stories of Jesus and these compelling words where he just looks this person who is so gentle and so full of love and so much kindness and and welcomes everybody who is hurting and broken to come into his arms. That was beautiful. And then the second thing that happened was I was really um, impressed by some of the sophistication, the theological sophistication of some of her stories. And it's not always super apparent. Sometimes it's just an illusion. So just a turn of a phrase or a word that she'll place in there because of my profession, I'll recognize that there's a whole lot that's going on beneath that. And one of the things, one of the places where I picked up on that, then um, dovetailed or resonated or overlapped with the psalm that we're praying for this past week in the Red Book, which is the psalm that Mary just read for us, Psalm 18. And it is this idea of um, when you and I experience God coming into our lives, it feels like he picks us up and places us down in a wide open space. It's a very peculiar metaphor. Salvation feels like being placed in a wide open space. Here's, so she captures this in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and there's an image of the page, and I'll read the quote. And this is, when Jesus is calling the 12 disciples. So this is the first time the 12 disciples are meeting Jesus. And this is how she describes their experience of meeting Jesus. She writes, When they looked at Jesus, their hearts filled up 
with a wonderful forever sort of happiness, and inside it was as if they were running free in an open field. They meet Jesus. Something wonderful happens inside them. And the feeling, the way you describe that feeling, as if you're just running free in an open field. And in our psalm for today, the psalmist uses the same metaphor. After talking about all sorts of trouble that he had been in, he says this, He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The experience of salvation is like being put in a spacious place. Prior to that, he had talked about all the trouble that he's experiencing, also using metaphor. He says, drowning in deep waters. He's not talking about he was literally drowning in deep waters. He talks about being surrounded by enemies or facing disaster. He's talking about trouble in his life. And these troubles, they all feel like being stuck, being surrounded, so like the lack of freedom, about to perish, unfree, constrained. When you think about something in your life, a hard circumstance that you're, you're experiencing, if you're using a metaphor for that, feeling stuck, you can't get out of it, feeling constrained, feeling surrounded by enemies. This is what the psalmist is talking about. But then God rescues him. God is a rescuer for him. And he comes and he takes him out of this place, these drowning waters, this space of being surrounded by enemies, and he places him in an open field. This isn't the only place this language is used to describe what it feels like when God comes into your life. Listen to some of the other ways that this Hebrew word of being placed in an open space is used throughout the Old Testament. The origin clearly comes because in ancient Israel, the great promise that God had given to the Israelites was land. So he brought them up out of Egypt and then they inherit this land. And so being placed in a broad open space calls to mind often the connotation of a large inheritance with wide boundaries. So when God comes into my life, it feels like he gives me this huge gift, this great inheritance with wide boundaries, this large piece of land on which to live. Another place, Genesis 26, 22, I'm not going to read the verse, but it's about Isaac, and Isaac is trying to figure out where he's going to settle. And he, and he settles by a well because it's a dry land, so they got to make sure that they can find water. So he settles by one well, but there's enemies really close by. So he goes to another well, and there's enemies close by over there. And then he finds another well, and there are no enemies around him. And so he calls it the well of open space. The idea of there are no enemies near me. I'm safe from my enemies. So salvation that God does in our life feels like I am safe from those who want to do me harm. Psalm 4.2, there's a connotation of relief. Give me relief from what's happening and put me in a place where I'm free. Also kind of freedom from enemies. Psalm 119.32 talks about how 
when you follow God's command, it makes your heart spacious. It broadens your heart. So the idea here is if we submit to God's law, we end up feeling freer. If we limit ourselves to God's precepts, we end up feeling freer. And then Job 36.16, again, this idea of being placed in a spacious space, free of restriction. So when we look at all the Old Testament, all the different ways this Hebrew word of being placed in a spacious place is is, uh, used, there's kind of three general ideas that are behind it. The first is freedom from restriction. Second is distance or protection or space from enemies. And the third is the idea of inheritance, a large inheritance with broad and wide boundaries. So when God comes into our life, when God's presence shows up in our life, when we experience salvation, it feels like these three things. It feels like freedom. It feels like safety from those who want to do us harm. And it feels like a gift or a large inheritance, a a grace or a treasure that has been given to us. That's how it's talked about in the Old Testament. And Paul picks this up and connects it with our experience of Jesus in particular on a spiritual level when he prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep, how spacious is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge and be filled up with a measure of all the fullness of God. This idea that when we know the love of Christ, it creates a spaciousness in our heart. Eugene Peterson, the translator of the Bible version, The Message, also gets that this is a key aspect of what God's presence does in our life and what salvation feels like. So he frequently inserts it into Scripture. Listen to Romans 5, 1 and 2. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with Him, make us fit for Him, We have it all together with God because of our master, Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. And then again, his translation of Romans 8, 5 through 7. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust in God's actions in them find that God's Spirit is there in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into the spacious, free life. So it's clear that the idea is captured in Scripture in this rich metaphor is that as you and I come to know the love of God in our hearts, in our inner life, in our spiritual life, in our prayers, we have an experience that there's a broadening of our inner life. 
a widening of what's going on inside of us, an opening up so we feel more spacious, which means we feel less restricted even when things don't go the way that we want them to go, or we feel safer because of the love of God and presence of God, even when we're in relationship with a person who means us harm. And we feel like there is this rich treasure, so we're overflowing with gratitude, even when our life circumstances aren't going the way we want them to go. God's presence enters our life, and in hard relationships and in difficult circumstances, transforms them so that we start to experience a spaciousness of our inner life in the midst of whatever is going on around us. This is what God's presence does in us and to us and for us. So I'm wondering, how spacious does your life feel right now? This is what God does in us. Are you feeling constrained by your circumstances? Are you feeling wounded by your enemies? Are you feeling resentful because life isn't going the way that you want? Or do you have this awareness that in the midst of it all, God's presence is making your life spacious? Truth be told, COVID is constraining for all of us in a variety of ways. And so we need the Lord's presence. We need to continually return to an awareness of the Lord's presence with us, or we're going to feel just beaten down and overwhelmed by our circumstances. And so I was thinking about some specific ways that you and I feel constrained in this season of social distancing. And the first thing that came to mind was video calls. Video calls are oppressive. I've heard so many people talk about how they feel zoomed out and how they're struggling being on a call all day at work, oftentimes sitting in a meeting and never being invited to talk about it, to talk or to give input in the meeting. And so I've been processing, or so I was watching YouTube and I saw a guy who was talking about this and he said he's so fried with Zoom that he decided to devise a plan so that he could create a digital avatar to go to his meetings for him. Appealing, no? Well, so what he did, he's a, a, a very technically savvy guy. He works, uh, he's the videographer for a company called CNET. And uh, what he did was he created this virtual camera and then in the Zoom setting, you can choose which camera you're using, and he changed it from his webcam to this virtual cam, and the virtual cam would then just pipe in the, whatever was the video feed from this other software that he was using. And in this other software, he pre-recorded himself doing a bunch of things, and then, uh, so he had a, a, a five-minute loop of himself going, and then taking a sip of coffee, and then yawning and looking around, and then that just played on loop. And so then he showed the video of him being in this meeting where that, he didn't, wasn't asked to say anything the entire meeting, so that five minutes just played on loop for the entire meeting. 
He did this for a week, and then there's another meeting where he knew he'd be called on. So he pre-recorded all of these different responses. And so he had to sit at his computer and then click on whatever video uh, he needed to call up for that moment. So, I mean, he still was doing work, but he could have had bedhead. He could be eating through the meeting. Um, he, he could be playing on his phone for most of the meeting. Well, he went through a week of this being... Uh, just a digital, av- a pre-recorded video version of himself in all of his Zoom calls. And, uh, and he talked about what the experience was like. And he did it because he was worn out by Zoom and, and video meetings. Because, and it was kind of wearing on him. But he was, at the end, he came back and he said, you know, in the end, it ended up being way more work. Because I had to pre-record all these responses. I still had to sit right at my computer and do all of this paying attention. And, um, and so in the end, it was positive because it kind of was a creative outlet for him, but probably didn't really help alleviate the constrained feeling. He said he, before every single work call, he would have this feeling of dread that he was going to be found out. Uh, he ended up confessing to his coworkers, and they thought it was hilarious and, and loved it, but said they also had trust issues with him going forward. <laughs> but this is sort of the way that we often try and deal with our difficult circumstances in life, right? Like if life is going hard or we feel constrained or something's hard, we turn to technology to solve a technical problem. But frequently it doesn't really help. It may change circumstances a little bit. But what we really need to feel free, to feel like we're in that wide open space is something only the Lord can do in our soul. So, let's be specific. How can the Lord bring spaciousness to our inner life on Zoom calls this week? And I think the, the, the clear implication of all of these passages that talk about spaciousness is that it is God's presence that creates this sense of spaciousness. When we feel like we're on our own, trying to figure out, navigate our circumstances, or deal with our enemies, or make life, fix life and make it better, that's when we feel constrained and limited. But it is when we invite God in to our experiences, be in conversation with Him, and follow His ways, that things start to feel much more spacious. So, I would invite you, before video calls or before whatever feels constraining to you this week, a hard meeting or a difficult conversation with someone who feels like you're in, just bring God into it. Pray before the meeting. Offer the entire call up to the Lord and ask Him to help you embody love to everyone on the call. Then while you're in the call and you're feeling bored, start praying for people. Maybe nothing specific, but just offer people up individually to the Lord to be held in His love. And then after the call, pause and pray. And in in search for God, in a sort of examine way, search where was God in my call? Where was His grace? Where did I notice faith? Where did I notice hope? Where did I notice love? Where did I notice somebody telling the truth? Just pay attention to how God was there. And I don't know, you know what is going to happen if you just pray through your Zoom calls. But what I am confident of is that by inviting God into the experience with you, in your call, that it will feel more spacious. Praying before, during, and after 
will help you become aware of the reality that God is already there with you. And this is a mundane example, you know, video calls. Some of us maybe don't find video calls that constraining. Some of, you know, it's not a huge burden. But we can do this with all parts of our life. Anything that feels hard, anybody that feels like an enemy that we need to relate to, any circumstance that is oppressive to us, we can invite God into that. God's already there, but we open the door to our heart, invite Him into that as we pray and converse with God through that experience. So if you have to talk to a coworker who feels like an enemy, invite God into that conversation. Pray before it. Pray during it. Search for God as you reflect on it afterwards. If you have a hard family situation, again, bring God into it. If your finances are hard, pray through your budget. Bring God into everything. God's presence brings spaciousness. God doesn't often fix our problems. He's not a technology that we can use. But his presence brings spaciousness, brings a, a sense of freedom, brings the sense of safety, and brings this awareness of grace and gratitude, even in hard situations. If you can't imagine how you could possibly pray through really hard situations, then reach out to somebody who can pray with you and help you pray. It, a friend, somebody on staff, somebody that you know prays well and can embody God's presence for you. When we invite God into the hard, constrained areas of our lives, they are transformed because he brings spaciousness to our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I'm aware of everybody watching this video sermon, my desire to be in the same room with them. I ask that by your Spirit, your presence and your love would bring them spaciousness, freedom, safety, and gratitude. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.